pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, way up there, way out of here, goodbye baseball. Eight strikeout for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome to the room edition of the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast at Mariners Pod. Gary Hill here. Thanks for being here once again. And what a podcast we have in store here. It has been two days since we talked, and it's been pretty pretty big two days for the Ams as they knock off the A's twice. So we'll quickly recap both the games. A lot of highlights. I mean, so many highlights. So many good things. And the two games as the Mariners sweep aside the Oakland A's. We'll talk about what comes up next with the Houston Astros. Uh, also, Jake Mailhot's going to be here. We're going to talk shifts, both offensively and defensively for the Mariners. Very interesting conversation that comes up in a few minutes. I think you'll enjoy it. If you watch the Mariners this year and think you've seen more shifts, well, you probably have. So we're going to talk about that coming up. Also, Shannon Dreyer, a great conversation with Cattell Marte, who is simply a magician defensively. He is playing at a really high level right now, really on, on both sides. But defensively, he is he has turned in some amazing plays the last couple of games. So great conversation there coming up in a few minutes. Also, I asked uh, right before I recorded this on Twitter, uh, ask for any questions or comments, and I'm going to get to a few of those. Can't get to them all, but uh, I'll have a few of them, and I think I'm going to do this more often. Uh, first of all, I love the comments. Those are always great, but a couple really good questions too, so we're going to dive into that a little bit as well. So uh, that's a lot. We have a lot to cover, but it's uh, so good, so, so good. So let's start with game two of the series. Mariners had taken game one. They were looking for their sixth consecutive series win, and they would get it behind Asashi Iwakuma, who was excellent. Seven innings, four hits, just one earned run, walked a couple and fanned three, and he got some big backup as the Mariners played some long ball in this one. The windup in the pitch, swung on fly ball, well hit into the gap in left center field. Davis going back to the warning track, looking up, goodbye baseball! It hits off the facing of the lower deck in left center field right above the 362 marker. Robbie Cano going the other way for his ninth home run of the season, the second of the night off of Sonny Gray. And the Mariners now lead the A's by a score of 3 to nothing. What a rocket the other way by Robbie Cano. Leading the American League in homers and RBIs with that blast. It's been a Big uh, month and change for Robinson Cano to start. And then Kyle Seager would extend things late. The 2-2 on the way to Seager. Swing and a high fly ball deep to right field. Reddick going back. Looking up. Goodbye baseball. Kyle Seager with his sixth home run of the season. Holy smokes. A three-run drive high atop the out-of-town school board. The Mariners add three more. And it's now the Mariners' eight. And the A's won here in the top of the eighth inning and still nobody out. How about that? 
Big, big night for the M's. Eight runs, eight to two. They get the win over the A's. Sonny Gray, one of the best pitchers in the American League and who has given the Mariners problems down through the years. Mariners get him for a career-high tying hit total with 11 and a career-high tying run total with seven. They tag him with both. Sonny Gray, seven innings, 11 hits, seven earned. And he's, uh, he takes the loss, so... The Mariners take game two. So the Mariners, they take the series at that point. You feel pretty good with the King, Felix Hernandez, going yesterday to try and sweep aside the Oakland A's. But this game ended up being just wild. First of all, Oakland took the lead with a blast by Simeon, who's now touched up Felix for the third time. And then the A's tack on one more in the fourth inning. And Mariners really held in check until the fifth. And then... And what ended up being just a five-pitch sequence, they take the lead and it was capped by Nelson Cruz hitting one into orbit. The pitch, swing and a high fly ball, deep center field. Bailey Burns racing back to the one, he tracked to the wall. Upper deck, goodbye baseball. Holy smoke into Mount Davis. Straight away center field. A tape measure home run by Nelly Cruz into the upper deck straight away. A two-run blast. You heard Rick's call there, including Burns racing back, and I really can't tell you why Burns was racing back because that thing was long, long gone. I hope by this point you've seen it. If you haven't, go to Mariners.com. It is worth the look because that thing was absolutely crushed to straightaway center field. So the Mariners, literally in five pitches, they turned things. They turned the game completely. They had a four to two lead, but that's when things unraveled for Felix Hernandez. Oakland puts a sixth spot on the board in the bottom of the fifth. Felix, four innings, nine hits, eight runs, four earned, no walks, one strikeout, two errors in the inning, one by him, one by Kyle Seager. Things just fell apart for the Mariners in that inning. So an 8-4 to four lead at that point for Oakland. But then the Mariners start chipping away, and they get a big blast in the sixth inning by Dayholi. The pitch. Swinging a crack out to center field. Burns angling, racing, racing, looking up. Burns out of the warning track, and this is gone over the wall for a home run. Dayholi has smashed the opposite way, and the Mariners trying to inch back into this one. It's now 8 to five eights. First pitch swing and Deho Lee. That's some serious pop. Serious pop from Deho Lee. And Lee would come up in the seventh inning again, and he would do massive damage to give the Mariners the lead. He winds, fires, swing, and this is clubbed out to the left field. This is gone. Deho Lee taking his time around the bases. As he just destroyed that pitch from Axford, he killed it out to left field, and the Mariners lead it 9-8 to eight with two outs in the seventh inning. Second home run of the game, the Mariners take the lead, four in the fifth, two in the sixth, three in the seventh, nine runs on the board. And I love Aaron's call there. So we've heard the English version. Here's the Korean version of Lee's second home run of the ball game. Oh, 
이자 추격 그 이상 역전까지만 드러냅니다. And so the Mariners take a lead into the ninth. Steve Ciszek is on, and he closes it down for another Mariners win and a sweep of the Oakland A's. And the 3-1 pitch, swing and a pop-up right side of the infield. This is going to do it. Robbie Cano coming into his left. He's there and makes the catch, and the ball game is over. The Mariners win it, a wild one this afternoon, 9-8 over the Athletics, and they sweep the A's here in Oakland in the three-game series. They sweep them, and so many storylines with this one. Uh, the bullpen cannot be overlooked, though. Nuno comes in for Felix. He pitches an inning, gives up two hits, some inherited runners, but he doesn't give up an earned run himself. Montgomery comes in, and he was sensational. Two innings, nothing. No hits, no runs, no walks. He gets the win. Peralta, a clean eighth, fanning two, and then Ciszek slams the door in the ninth, an inning without a hit, and gives up one walk. The bullpen was outstanding. Of course, the offense explodes. 16 hits. Against the A's, they play nine runs. Every starter gets a hit along the way. Aoki, Marte, Cano, Cruz had three of them. Gutierrez, Seeger, Ionetta, Lee with two apiece. Martin with a knock. Lee, of course, the two long balls. And this is one that uh, you can file under finding a way because it looked pretty bleak when the Mariners were down four when Felix gets bounced from the ball game, but... You know, it's been a trend. This team continues to find a way to win ball games. Now 16 and 11 on the season, 11 and 4 on the road, and right now absolutely sizzling. And the offense is exploding. Here's what Nelson Cruz had to say after the ball game. He's pretty happy about the offense right now. Every day is something different, you know. A new guy, you know. Uh, we move the runner, we bond. Uh, I mean, it's exciting, you know. I mean, we know that even we down by four and six, we can go back and win again. It's very, it's very exciting, you know. And uh, the confidence that you can get from that is, is remarkable. We see a lot of talk in the dugout, especially in this game. You guys had a guy in the mound that you hadn't seen before. How helpful is that as guys are talking through that? Yeah, like I mentioned, you know, guys that we haven't seen, we try to just first of all, you know, learn what he got. You know, it's different from videos you can see, you know, until you go to the box and actually see how what, what the ball does. Uh, and then from there, you just work, you know. But the first of bat is the key. Nelson Cruz talking about the offense. So here are some numbers. Seattle Mariners, 122 runs scored this year. That is the second most in the American League, only behind the Boston Red Sox. Mariners, second most runs scored in the American League. How about home runs? 38 long balls on the season. That's the most in the American League. Second most, the Houston Astros, who they'll take on next. How about base on balls, which I think should not be overlooked? The Mariners, 92 walks in the season, third most in the American League, behind the Astros and the Blue Jays. On base percentage, the Mariners, fourth in the American League. 321 on base percentage, slugging fifth best in the American League at 415. And we just go on and on with all the numbers, the fifth best OPS in the American League as well. They are performing at a very high level offensively right now, and it's really impressive to see. 
And so they sweep aside the Oakland A's. Now, Dejo Lee, the monster story with the two home runs and the huge one to give the Mariners lead. Here is Dejo Lee after the ball game with his translator. How would you describe this game start to finish? You know, we win streak, win streak. We didn't want to end here. We keep going straight win. And I, I just had a nervous about it because we didn't want to lose the game. But I, I did my best to just hit the hit, hit, hit and win. Now, were you nervous when you stepped up to the plate before the first home run? I wasn't so nervous, but I had a, a, a good. A, I was waiting for the straight, uh, the straight fastball, so I waited for that, and I just hit it. Yeah, you got it. It was first pitch. Was that one that you knew you had and you knew was going out? Yes, I was waiting for the expecting that fastball. Okay, the next at bat a little bit longer. You get to 3-0 in that count. You know he has to throw you some strikes. What were you looking for then? Yes, I was waiting for the fastball as well. And then he just came right away. So he just hit it. Okay, now that was 95 and it was inside. That is not an easy ball to get to. What what adjustments did you have to make to get there? It's just timing that uh, he threw the fastball. I was expecting that ball, so I just, just threw it. Just hit it. You expecting He was expecting This last month, well, what has that been for you as far as adjustments go? How do you feel at the plate now with what you're seeing versus how you felt with what you were seeing a month ago? Month ago, I was so nervous. I was kind of uh, pressure about a lot of things. But now I'm I'm very easy at theater, and I'm just enjoying the game, enjoying the baseball game. How do you stay ready? It's been a little bit since you've been able to get out there, but you come out and, and we see the production today. Doesn't really matter the left or right. I just, I just uh, focus on the, uh, the ball. I just want to hit it. Now the ball wasn't too happy with you today. Hey, uh, when you get back to the dugout, what are your teammates saying after those home runs? Yeah, uh, after they cheered him, just, oh, that was a good hit, that was a good hit. And it's, it's a third, what well, third. <laughs> give, me, give me the other one. He keeps saying. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. Hey, two big games, I mean, two games that you've won for them, big dramatic home runs. What does that mean to you to be up in those situations, have the opportunity to win games and, and, and contribute that way? I want to help the Seattle team to win. Uh, even if I don't play the game, I want to cheer the other teammates as well. And I just want to enjoy the ride.
There it was. Great stuff. I think it's really fun to hear from Dejolia. Uh, such what a what a game. Two home runs in the ball game to help the Mariners get the win. So here's what the M's are looking at now. They'll take on the Houston Astros for four. The reality is it's going to be really tough to keep the series winning streak alive because a four-game series on the road, I mean, taking three or four is a tall task on the road. Certainly a split is the goal, although they'd love to win them all. But on the road can be awfully difficult. And here's how it lines up. Chris Davinsky will take the mound for Houston in game one. He's got a live arm, some really good stuff. Wade Miley will get the call for the M's. Doug Fister will go on Friday against Taiwan Walker. Uh, Dallas Keuchel on Saturday. Mariners got to him last time against Nathan Carnes. And then Colin McHugh on Sunday against Iwakuma. So that's how the pitching matchups line up. And, of course, the Astros trying to get it going. They did have, uh, they're did they coming off a monster night last night against the Minnesota Twins. They put a ton of runs on the board and uh, trying to get the offense in gear, but still just 10 and 18 so far in the season. So it's going to be an interesting four-game series, no doubt about that, as the Mariners trying to keep the roll going and staying hot, and they'll try and do it in Houston against the Astros. Okay, here's a couple of things before we get to the split conversation. Also, Cattell Marte. I threw out just a quick tweet for questions or comments quickly before – I recorded the podcast, and here's a few that came in. I think this one is incredibly fitting from at Sandlot61. Is this podcast going to be three hours long? Please say yes. I try and keep these at a relatively 30 to 40 minutes, something like that, you know, something that's not too lengthy. But this one is <laughs> this one's going to be long. I was looking at the content before – I started, and I had to cut a few things because there's just too much after this last game. But, uh, yeah, it won't be three hours long, but it is a little bit longer. So I hope you enjoy that. (laughs) This is from at Blake Lawatch, who uh, contributes from time to time. The beauty is I can name a million facets that won the sweep. Marte, Cano, Bullpen, Aoki, underappreciated. I think that's a really good comment because – when a team's playing well, when a team is consistently good, this is what you see. And you're seeing you're seeing this from the M's. They are getting contributions all over the place. I mean, you look at the sweep, and I could ask I could ask you the most important aspect of the sweep, and I'd get ten different answers from ten different people. Whether it's the defense, the starting pitching, the bullpen, Cano, the offense. I mean, you could go down the list. There's contributions all all over the place. So I think that's a great point. This from at Austin L. Howard. Please discuss the parade route after a World Series win. Loving this team so much, so much fun. <laughs> that may that may be a bit premature. Maybe. That's fun, though. From Adam Weber, Adam at Adam Weber 3. I like how everyone is hitting through the lineup, don't really see a weak spot, one through nine, able to score with two outs. The two-out scoring has been really impressive, and, boy, it brings back shades of 2001, where seemingly every time that team needed a hit in 2001, they would get it every single time. But this this stretch is reminding me of that, where, I mean, two outs, and they're bashing the ball. It's impressive. 
I have a few about the bullpen. So I'll kind of squish them together at Boyd Wonder, also at Dal Osto 10. Uh, a few more as well. I won't read them all because kind of, they kind of get at the same point. But questions when Benoit and Zick return to the bullpen, where does Charlie Furbush fit? Uh, three lefties, question mark, one of them. The other one is updates on Cook and Scribner. And so I'll give you a whole kind of bullpen roundup. So Zick is not scheduled to return for four to six weeks, so he's going to be out for a little while. Cook and Scribner uh, initially mid to late May, so they're still a little bit away. They're not even out out on rehabs or anything like that, so that's not, that's not close to happening either. Benoit is getting closer, and he's – uh, his DL stint is up around mid-May, and he, he'll go up probably on a rehab for a, a couple of appearances, and then he should be ready to go fairly quickly. Charlie Furbush, I think, is going to take a little longer. He hasn't been on a mound in a long time, so I think he'll take a while to get back. Once he, He's throwing a little bit now, but once he goes out on assignment, I think it'll be a longer one before he's ready to go. So, I mean, first of all, the first question is, you know, how do you find room for everyone? First things first, you have to get everyone back and healthy at the same time. And I always feel like those things tend to work themselves out in terms of who's healthy, who's effective, that sort of thing. Uh, and frankly, if all three lefties were healthy at the same time, Furbush, Montgomery, and Nuno, there's plenty of room for all three, especially with their skill sets. Furbush kind of the lockdown lefty. Of course, he can get righties out as well. He's... He's uh, good from both sides. And uh, Montgomery and Nuno, skill set that you value greatly, guys that can get lefties but also give you multiple innings as well and be really versatile. So there's plenty of room for all three uh, if all healthy at the same time. So I don't see a problem there. And really just trying to get guys back. Benoit would be a big guy to get back as soon as possible to help in the late stages. I think Zick is a pretty big loss, unfortunately. But the starters – have really helped the cause by giving the Mariners some pretty big innings. So not a lot of specifics there, but I think we're just – I think it will come more into focus in the next couple of weeks when Benoit's on the verge of coming back, and then we'll get maybe a little f more firm of a timetable with Zick. Hopefully it's on the shorter end of the four to six weeks, but it's good that the timetable – I mean, you never know with shoulders. Uh, the timetable is uh, relatively near, and then hopefully we'll have a – better idea with Scribner and Cook as well. So be great to get guys healthy and get them back uh, pitching out of the pen. So another one from at Damon Charlson. I love this one. I love seeing these guys having fun is the first comment he makes. And you can see it on their faces, then dug out everything else. You now they're playing fun. They're playing loose. This from Lauren Parker at Parker Lauren. What I've liked the most is walks. Smith, Cruz, Aoki getting on base has been huge for the fast start. And I don't disagree with that at all. And I just mentioned the walks a moment ago. Drawing a ton of base on balls, 92 so far. That's third in the American League. They're getting on base. They're working pitches, working pitch counts. And it's something we haven't talked a ton about. And I did some work up on this, but I don't have the numbers in front of me. But they are knocking pitchers out of the box early in ball games. Uh, I think their last 14, only two pitchers have pitched seven innings. I mean, they're they're upping pitch counts. They're knocking guys out. 
and they're getting to bullpens and soft part of bullpens where they can really take advantage. So I think that's a great point. And here's one question that I really enjoyed. This from Matt Andrew, RC23. How does the bottom of the order stack up against past years numbers-wise? I thought that was a really interesting question, so bear with me. I did some research on this that uh, I find interesting. I hope you do, too. I'll just rip through it here real quick. So bottom of the order, so I take 7 through 9, and I used OPS, on-base plus slugging percentage. I know it's not perfect, but... I think in terms of comparing years, it's a great starting point. It gives us a good idea. So it's interesting because the lineup feels pretty long this year and pretty productive so far. And I think, you know, it's the amazing part of the whole thing. You look at 7 through 9 just as a group. If you stack up all the Mariners' years, this season right now is 24th in OPS at 642. They've already whacked eight homers, though, and driven in 23 RBIs batting 229 as a group. Of course, that can change quickly with the number of games they've played so far in comparison to other years. I mean, just two home runs in two games jumps pretty quickly. But I think there's room for growth there too, which I think is the best sign of all. I mean, the offense has been tremendous, but, I mean, there's plenty of room for growth. The number one group was in 1999, a 750 OPS, 55 homers, and 225 RBIs from the 7th through nine hitters in 1999, which most routinely were Russ Davis, Dan Wilson, and David Bell. They hit 269 as a group. I also broke it down by batting order spot, but I won't go through every single one of these numbers. But uh, it, is, it is interesting to look at compared to years past, but I, I, I think they've been productive so far, but I think there's – there's room for even more. So I think we'll do this again. I, I really enjoyed the questions and the comments, so keep an eye out for it. I'll throw it out once in a while before I start recording these for your questions and comments. So right now, let's go ahead and thing, hand things over to Shannon Dreyer as she's with Cattell Marte. Cattell, it's been fun to watch your start. A little bit different at the beginning of the year than it is like last year. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be uh, to be here with you. I mean, and just I mean, like I say, we we had a good moment and bad moment, and uh, it's it's baseball, you know. And uh, we just had to uh, plan to be consistent and work work hard. And nothing, you see now. I'm I'm good. I feel good. You feel good. You've got more to work on. Switch hitter. You got left side, right side. How do you approach both sides? Nothing. I'm just I just try to be a consistent on both sides. I mean, when I when I go to the home play, it's just trying to get my pitch and, and make a good swing. And if I got to hit, I got to hit. If not, it's okay. That's about. What are the things you do before you go to the plate? Do you talk to Edgar? Do you talk to Robbie? Do you watch the at bats before? What are you thinking when you look out on the hill and you see the pitcher? How do you get ready for that? I'm just trying to have a communi- uh, communicate with uh, Edgar and Cano. They just they they try me they make me good they they try to uh, let me know how he gonna throw me. I just try to make it, make adjustment with, with whoever I, I don't care and then, like I say just try to get my pitch and make a good swing. That's it. Make a good swing or take the walk if you need to too. Uh yeah 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 yeah. If somebody throw me a strike, I'm to get a good swing and put the ball in play. If if, if they give me the walk, okay I go to the third base. Papa ahora. That guy over there, you, you've talked quite a bit about him. How has he helped you 
at the plate. You said that he works with you in the cage. What, what does he tell you? I mean, well, uh, he, he trained me good with uh, my swing, um, how, how, how I got to swing, what pitch I got to swing, and what count, what count I got to swing. Because he just he just trying to make me go about that. Because if I get on bay, we got uh, we got the chance to uh, score. What about in the field, turning a double play with Robinson? What what are the kind of the things that he's helped you with there? We we, we working we've been working that and spring training uh, last year and this year we working hard on that and nothing. I just try to uh, move move my feet and get the uh, the good position, catch the ball and make sure the this got a good throw. Something you do on your own is you run. And not only can you steal bases, but you run the bases very well. Who taught you about running the bases? Um, Casey. Casey's, uh, Casey helped me a lot. Um, but like I said, I just, I, I got to get on bay first and and get my lead. And then if I got a good jump, uh, and if I got a good jump, get the second base, that's it. Do you look out on the field and say, okay, if it's hit here, I can take two bases. If it's hit here, I can go home. Or is that what you're thinking when you're on the base? How far can I go? Yeah, I'm just read the ball. Read the ball and see money. If he, if, if, if he send me to the home play or third base, I just got to go and use my leg. Has Manny ever stopped you? <laughs> ah, never. <laughs> never, never, never. Say he's pretty aggressive, but with you, I think he's always waving. I'm always aggressive. I'm always aggressive. I mean, I just like I said, just trying to get a, uh, get on base first and and get the out and steal a base too. And steal a base from there, you know. <laughs> Perfect, Cattell. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy this. This is a fun conversation, all about shifting offensively and defensively, and what the Mariners are doing this year. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. We get a chance to catch up with Jake Mailhot. You can find him at Lookout Landing. You can also follow him on Twitter at Jake Mailhot. Jake, thanks for coming by. This is going to be a fun conversation because really anyone that's watched the Mariners this year, at least defensively, knows that it looks a little different this year than it has the last couple of years. Yeah, it's been really, really cool to see how much more the Mariners are defensively shifting. It's it's an incredible uh, increase from the from last year. So let's talk about that. Let's start with the defense and what they're doing defensively. But before we get into the numbers, how did you go about this? By the way, two great pieces on LookoutLanding.com. If you want to read through it, they're they're outstanding. I recommend them both. But how did you come up with the data? Where did you find it uh, to put all this together? Yeah, so earlier this year, Fangraphs um, added the infield shift data, um, and they get that data from Baseball Info Info Solutions. Um, And and the data goes all the way back to 2010. So we have a good, pretty good data sample to draw from. Um, And so I started looking at the data and um, playing around with it and seeing what uh, popped up. And um, yeah, I found all these things that uh, I wrote about in in the two articles. Let's start with on the defensive side. And just in terms of sheer amount, how much more are the Mariners shifting defensively this year than they did just a year ago, for example? Yeah, so it's it's a pretty incredible increase. So last year, um, in 2015, the Mariners were shifting around 8.6% of the time, um, and that's on balls in play. So this isn't including um, strikeouts or walks or home runs. Um, it's just in uh, on balls in play. Um, and, and this year, 2016, uh, they're shifting almost a quarter of the time. 
mm. um, which is just a, a, a huge increase. Um, and it's uh, it's really interesting to see the popularity of of defensive shifts rise in the in the game. And um, the Mariners weren't really following that trend up until this year. And and this year they've really um, yeah they've got on the on the bandwagon. It's interesting to look at, especially the ranks in particular, because you, as you mentioned, the percentages have gone up. But really, they've been middle of the pack. And then last year down as 25th, this year ninth in terms of defensive shifts. That is a major jump from one year to the next. Yeah, and I think it all has to do with uh, Jerry Depoto and Scott Survey. I mean, they're, uh, they come in um, and they're bringing um, a new perspective. Um, they're bringing their own ideas of how they want their roster to be played and and, and, um, and I think defensive shifts is obviously one of those things that they started employing on a on a massive scale now this is what I find really interesting is looking at the results of what has happened during the shift what have you seen so far this year compared to last year in terms of results yeah I thought this was really interesting too um, so this year um, when we're looking at batting average on balls in play um, the Mariners are are doing a much better job you could say they're being more effective when they're shifting. Um, when uh, when they're employing a shift, their opposing hitters' batting average on balls in play is just 250. Um, and then when they're when they aren't employing a shift, uh, that batting average on balls in play go- jumps up to 277. So mm-hmm. we can see immediately there's a, a 27 point difference in in just in batting average, um, and it, it also um, it extends to uh, their their WOBA, their um, weighted on-base average, um, there's a, a, a distinct difference in um, how uh, well batters are, uh, are, are doing when, when they're not uh, shifted. And it's interesting to draw that out further compared to last year as well because, you know, 2015, using your numbers, the shift 330 with balls in play, no shift 298, and it's – it's a big uh, stark contrast between last year and this year in terms of results. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think if we uh, look into the data a little bit more, we can we can break the data into like the direction that the balls were put in play. So we have like um, opposite field and the and center field and um, and to the pole side. Um, in last year, when um, opposing batters were beating the shift, they weren't doing it by going to the opposite opposite field. They were beating the shift by hitting the ball up the middle. The the um, the rate at which opposing batters were hitting the ball at the middle when when we were shifting against them was uh, the highest in all of baseball, which at 41%. Um, and I think uh, wow. we think about um, Robinson Cano's injury, um, his double hernia. Um, maybe it affected his range up the middle um, some, and, and teams are taking advantage of that. Um, yeah. That's uh, really interesting stuff. So let's flip it to how they're performing against the shift because this works both ways and what struck out uh stood out to me right away is just the amount they've been shifted on already this season yeah it's um it's pretty incredible and it's not just this season it's been the last four years too um it's uh for the since 2013 the mariners have been shifted on the second most in all of baseball um, and I think it has, it all has to do with roster construction. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the Meredith roster is constructed with a bunch of pole power hitters that are lefties um, to take advantage of the right field, um, short porch and right field and um, avoid the, the deep power alley and left center. Um, and so players like Kendrick Morrison and Kyle Seeger and 
um, Seth Smith. Um, they're all being shifted against because they're trying. They're all trying to pull the ball and take it, uh, take advantage of the, the stadium. How are they doing against the shift this season? Uh, this season, they, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be any discernible difference between um, when they're shifted against and when they're not shifted against, uh, which is a good sign. Yeah. Um, it looks like uh, their batting average on balls in play is is base. Is there's a three point difference? So that's barely anything. Um, uh, yeah, they're not grounding the ball more, and they're not pulling the ball more. They're, it's just it looks fairly normal, which is a is a really good sign. And that was that was the case last year too. In 2015, there wasn't very um, significant difference between uh, shifting and, and non-shifting when we're when we're batting. No, it's interesting. I, I love looking at the data because you watch game by game, and it, it felt like the Mariners were beating the shift. Some guys going the other way, and it looks like the data uh, backing that up as well. Yeah, I remember I was watching a game this weekend and um, there was a, a, a point at which uh, the Royals had a couple base base runners on and Kendrys Morales was up to bat and he hit a rocket um, to right field and immediately I, I thought it was going to be a hit, but there was Robinson Cano right in the, in the middle of right field fielded the ball and threw him out at first like it was no big deal and I, th I think our we're we're trained to, to see like a, a ball hit off the bat and expect <laughs> it to be a hit and all of a sudden there's a there's a fielder there and um so I I uh I think that goes both ways I think um for players like Kyle Seeger and Seth Smith Seth Seth Smith there it is yeah um <laughs> Uh, they're hitting balls that are they're getting gobbled up by the by the shift as well. Uh, I, I think we've we've seen that um, uh, a number of times, and um, but we've also seen them. Um, I mean, both Seth Smith and Robinson Cano they uh, they have they've shown an ability to hit to the opposite field uh, when, when facing a shift, and uh, they're very successful when doing so. I mean, they're last year uh, both Smith and Cano's their batting average on balls in play uh, when hitting to the opposite field was was over 350 and uh and that's that's a really good thing to see i'm really interested to see where this goes obviously shifting becoming more and more populated but i i feel like we're just kind of entering the beginning of this and when the data starts to pour in i think there'll be adjustments too as we move along by teams because you can really i mean you could really break this down to when a guy you know, pulls a certain kind of pitcher or a certain mm -hmm. kind of pitch. And I see this going in a lot of different ways. What do you see looking into the future in terms of shifts? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting. So the, the data that, that we have um, publicly available to us is, is actually fairly limited, right? We can't yeah. um, break the data down into uh, balls in play that are on the ground that were hit uh, to the pull side. Um, we can only sort of break it into larger chunks. So only balls in play that were hit to the pull side or only balls in play that were hit on the ground. Um, and so there, there is a lot of um, data that's just hidden to us right now. Um, and and I, I'm sure that the, the teams have their own data analysis uh, units that are, that, that can break the data down into very, very small chunks. And so um, what we have to remember is that all, all of these um, parts of the game are, are interconnected, right? Mm -hmm. Pitchers might be throwing um, to, to, generate a, a ground ball to the to the pull side but that means batters are also anticipating that and so maybe they're looking for a ball on the inside half of the plate um, and the fielders they have to be on the same page with the pitchers too and uh, the coaching staff has to be be doing a good job of communicating all this data to both the pitchers and the hitters and and so there's just a lot to to digest and to to dig into and so I 
I think we're, yeah, like you said, we're just hitting the surface of all this, uh, all the data. And uh, yeah, I expect to see a lot um, more, um, maybe maybe more non-traditional shifts in the future where maybe it's not three infielders on the on the right side of the infield, but maybe one up the middle and, and two uh, uh, on the right side or, or things like that. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm seeing, too. Uh, that's at least what I think is going to happen. It's going to be very specific, which I think it's going to be interesting, too, now that we have hitters kind of growing up and making their way through the minors and into the majors. Mm -hmm. Now that shifting is going to be part of the game, I'm interested to see how hitting changes and how hitting being taught changes. Are we going to see as many pull hitters in the future? I, I think there's going to be a give and take as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, <clears throat> there's something to be said about um, finding, generating all your power when you're pulling when you're pulling the ball. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's just a, a strength that a lot of hitters have, and and sort of get away from that strength. I think does them a disservice, right? Uh, we don't want someone like Adam Lind trying to knock a ground ball to the left <laughs> side every time he's at bat. We want him to hit home runs, um, but th it, it all comes with situational awareness, right? Not every situation calls for a pull, a hit, a pull to the to the right side. Mm -hmm. Maybe um, there's a a runner on on first, and you want to get that runner over to second, so you gotta hit it to to the left side. Um, and that and that all comes with coaching and and just being more familiar with what how teams are treating you. Um, I think uh, players like Kyle Seeker, who's seen like the twentieth most shifts of any player in baseball since the data was released uh, he, uh, I think he just understands more that that teams are going to shift against him and so he can sort of uh, he has the experience now to, to understand what he has to do at the plate to to avoid hitting right into the shift that's amazing that's a big number 20th most yeah <laughs> yeah it's pretty crazy Cal Seeger uh, does not like the shift <laughs> <laughs> yeah no doubt I mean I think about that sometimes, too. If Seager were playing in the 80s, for example, what his numbers would look like in terms of batting average and things like that if teams, for the most part, would play him straight up. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. I mean, so, like, just taking this year, he, uh, like, two-thirds of his numbers are – or two-thirds of his hits are for extra bases. And so it's not like he's not getting hits. He's getting he's – getting, he's hitting for power. He's just – He's also hitting for power right into the shift at some points, and so uh, he, we just have to. Yeah, he's just. Um, it, it's it's really hard to figure out um, where that that balance comes between playing into your strength as a pull hitter and 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 but also trying to hit it where they ain't right. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, and it's also new. I mean, because now that every team at some level or another is implementing it, some more than others, obviously with the Astros and everything else, but, you know, we're at the point now where this just isn't a Tampa Bay thing. This is everybody at some level doing this. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 pervasive across the game. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I have a quote from um, Brian Cashman. He's the general manager of the Yankees in one of my articles, and he's he, – the Yankees have seen this really affect them because uh, the, just the way that their stadium design is designed and the way that they've constructed their roster, teams have, have found a distinct advantage in shifting against the Yankees, and it's it's really affected their ability to score runs and um, to get on to, get on base. and um, And I think we'll see that more with uh, with teams that are built in in certain ways 
opposing teams will 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 find those advantages and and, and uh, every little bit helps, uh, especially over a, a long season where that aggregate number just uh, just compounds. And so, um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's the new reality, I guess. Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I guess my last question for you is, is the shift good for the game? I know that's kind of a big picture, big picture question. Is it good for the game? Yeah, I remember uh, Joe Girardi last week had some comments about uh, banning defensive shifts. And, and I don't think that's numbers, the right call. Look, looking at your numbers, I see why he would say that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, banning the shift, I think that's a pretty drastic measure. I, 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 I like the, the fact that teams are looking at the data they're they're looking for every advantage that they, they, they can get um and i think that's just that's the nature of baseball it's a it's a complex game there's a lot of things going on on the field at the same time and so defensive shift just seems to be like one of those things that they've unearthed in in this sort of uh, statistical revolution that um has has seemed to work um and maybe uh with more data and uh, more experience uh the way that they shift has, will will change, and um, but I think it's just uh, yeah, it's just something that we'll have to start to have to live with, and and hitters will have to figure out how to hit it where they ain't, and pitchers will have to understand when to to pitch into the shift and when to just pitch like they normally do, and and fielders are going to have to get used to playing on both sides of second base. No, well said. Uh, this was fun, Jake. Thanks a lot for the time. We really appreciate it. This was outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was re This is really fun. And check out lookoutlanding.com. You can see both his pieces, which are excellent. You can follow him as well, at Jake Mailhot, and find him on Lookout Landing. See you later!